Good morning and God bless you and welcome to another episode of Kingdom Voice Broadcast. My name is Apostle Lance Bellany and as always, it is my pleasure to welcome you into the broadcast and to have you be a part of our walk of faith and in particular my walk of faith as we join together to share truths of the kingdom from an apostolic perspective. Um, it's been a minute, it's been a while since we've had an opportunity to be on the broadcast with you, but uh, rest assured that we've missed it. We've missed being with you and sharing with you and just having you to be a part of our walk of faith as we journey together into the kingdom. And so today we wanna get started. We wanna continue talking about the kingdom, the journey that we're on. Um, as I like to class it, uh, talk about it, the, um, uh, the continuing journey into the kingdom of heaven, because there is no destination. It is a journey. And, uh, and, and so we want to continue to foster that understanding, that idea, that belief that we are journeying into the kingdom, exploring who our father is, and more in particular, allowing our father to reveal to us who we are and what he desires us to be. Remember, our father is eternal. There is no end to him. There is no beginning to him and, and, and or to them, should I say. And as a result, there is no beginning and end to us. We are eternal right with the Father by virtue of the Spirit of the Son operating on the inside of us and operating us, giving us that eternal dimension that is our Father and our Mother in heaven. And so we, we're thankful. We're, we're, we're really excited about uh, just being able to join together with you to share truths of the kingdom in this season. So uh, as we get started this morning and as we continue to share with you, uh, I want to thank all of you that are joining in. Amen. Um, uh, Sean and Jolynn, thank you all. Gary, thank you all so much. And those of you that will be getting on, uh, uh, certainly we want to thank you all for being patient with us as it has been a minute since we've been able to join in. As you can see, I'm broadcasting from a hotel room, uh, been doing quite a bit of traveling over the last um, several weeks, three, five or six weeks. And, uh, and today is no exception. We're once again on the road, but I just felt it absolutely necessary to take a few minutes to, to join in on the broadcast this morning to, um, to bring about, you know, just to share these things that uh, Holy Spirit has been sharing with me. Catalina, thank you so much. Angie, thank you so much for joining as well. So let's go ahead and get started. Today we wanted to talk about and wanted to get into um, hey, Rachel, uh, wanted to address something that I, I believe is really impor important, and it's imperative that we understand, or at the, at the very least, recognize the impact uh, of the remnant of the DNA of Catholicism and the impact that it is having on our journey. And, and, and by understanding that, we can now begin to divest ourselves of that impact and begin to see the kingdom for what God wants it to be, as opposed to what we have been taught and what we have been led to believe that it is. And so it's important for us to begin to understand that as we see that DNA imprint of Catholicism, that we address it and deal with it and, and come to terms with the fact that it is not just normal, it is something that is being artificially imposed upon our walk of faith, upon our journey into the kingdom. And so I, I want to pick up right there and begin to share with you some things about that, that I'm almost certain we've never taken the moment 
to dig into. And I, and I can say that because after 35, almost 40 years now of walking uh, the way I have, I've always heard about this particular subject, but never understood the depth and the uh, specifics of this particular subject that we're going to talk about today. And that is the 95 Theses of Martin Luther. We want to talk about that and we want to deal with that because I want you to understand the impact uh, that that had on the Protestant Reformation and that the impact that the Protestant Reformation had on your kingdom, or, or should I say, your Christian walk and the influence that your Christian walk is having on your kingdom journey. So, so this is how it progresses, right? So the 95 Theses or thesis, whichever you, however you want to want to pronounce it, the 95 Theses is credited for jumpstarting the Protestant or the Protestant Reformation. So the Protestant Reformation, which separated the Protestant movement from the Catholic Church, was credited to have begun with the 95 Theses. And we're going to talk about that, and I'm going to give you some detail information, share some de detailed information with you about the 95 Theses, because it's it's curiously interesting how that has evolved into what we today, uh, uh, the, the, the perception that we that 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 we have today of the 95 Theses. It, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. So we're going to talk about that today. But so the Protestant Reformation began with the 95 Theses, right? 95 Theses is credited uh, for launching the belief system of Protestantism. Well, out of Protestantism <clears throat> came what we now call the non-denominational movement. Uh, the the non-denominational movement, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, the charismatic movement and all of that came out of the Protestant movement. Now we have the kingdom understanding, which not really isn't, it really isn't a new understanding. It has always been there. We've simply begun to realize that there's a distinction between the kingdom and the Protestant movement or the church. And what we're coming to terms with is the fact that that movement, uh, the kingdom movement, uh, or should I say our kingdom understanding and our kingdom identity is, is subtly being influenced by what we learned over here in the Protestant movement. And we're gonna talk about that and learning to divorce ourselves from that and really breaking free of that to really journey into the kingdom as God desires us to be and to do. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. And so if you will give me just a few more minutes uh, of your time and, uh, and we will really hopefully in encourage you uh, with respect to uh, this, uh, 95 Theses, uh, the Protestant Reformation, and uh, and uh, I think you're going to find it very interesting, okay? So let's go ahead and get started. So as I said just a second ago, Martin Luther back in 1517 um, really had an issue uh, with what was taking place in the uh, Catholic Church. Martin Luther was a doctor of theology. He was also the local parish preacher in Germany, and he began to, uh, not began, there was a common practice within the Catholic Church involving a subject called indulgences. And you've heard me talk about that before, indulgences. And 
that practice was particularly interesting in that from the Pope down to the parishioner, I'm gonna say that again, from the Pope down to the parishioner, there was an understanding and a belief that one could pay for their sins to be forgiven, pay either by way of trading, meaning giving some type of physical gift, uh, uh, cattle, herd, property of some sort to the Catholic church or to the local diocese. And then they could be forgiven of their sins. Meaning no matter what you committed, the church would have the authority to absolve, absolve you from the sin that you had been engaged in. Okay. Now, if you understand human nature, which hasn't changed since God created man or created humanity, uh, greed, abuse has always been a part of, uh, since the fall of man rather, has always been a part of the makeup of humanity. And the practice of indulgences is no exception. There was widespread abuse of that. Now, here is the problem, or here is the interesting thing. The focus that often gets to happen when we start talking about why Luther actually uh, rebelled against that practice was not the practice itself, but it was the abuse of that practice that really caught his attention. Wait a minute, slow down for a second. It was the abuse of indulgences. Well, wait a minute. Adulgences itself is just absolutely unthinkable in the kingdom. There is no such thing as indulgences. Forget about the abuse of indulgences. It's the very practice itself. And Luther did not object to the practice of indulgences per se. He objected to the abuse of that practice. And therein lies a significant point to be understood because it was the attitude that ultimately produced the Protestant Reformation. And as I've often said, and I've talked about this subject before, but not at this depth, it was the, 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 the practice of indulgence is what, uh, the abuse of the practice of indulgence is what created the, the Protestant Reformation, not necessarily indulgences themselves. It was the abuse of it. And, and as I said, Luther did not get kicked out of the, uh, excuse me, he didn't willfully leave the Catholic Church. He wanted the Catholic Church to stop abusing indulgences. And the Catholic Church ultimately said to Luther, I'm sorry, buddy, but you got to go because indulgences aren't going anywhere. And finally, they ultimately kicked Luther out and Luther went on and uh, established what we now know today as the denominational movement or the Protestant movement of the Catholic Church, I mean, uh, of, of Christianity. And out of that came the, the major denominations. Uh, you had Lutheranism, you had um, um, uh, Methodists, you had uh, uh, the, the, the various um, denominations that came out, they escaped me at the moment, and I've said them so many times, but they escaped me at the moment. But you had these various denominations, mainstream denominations, that came into being as a result of the Protestant Reformation. 
But therein lied the problem because the basis upon which that was created was not rooted in the essence of the kingdom. It was rooted in an objection to a, a unthinkable practice called indulgences. And, and more particular, it was an objection to the abuse of that practice, not necessarily the practice itself, but the abuse of the practice of indulgence of indulgences. So for those of you that may not understand or may not know it particularly what was going on, I'm going to read just for a minute here. Uh, indulge me here. <laughs> there you go. Uh, allow me to, if you will, read uh, just a little bit to, to give you some background and understanding of what this was all about. So here we go. Martin Luther, a professor of moral theology at the University of Wittenberg uh, and town preacher, wrote the 95 Theses against the contemporary practice uh, of the church with respect to indulgences. In the Roman Catholic Church, practically the only Christian church in Western Europe at the time, indulgences are part of the economy of salvation. Listen to what, how, how this is worded, the economy of salvation. And again, uh, economy meaning exactly that monetary gain of salvation. In this system, when Christians sin and confess, they are forgiven and are uh, no longer stand to receive eternal punishment in hell, but may uh, still be liable to temporal punishment. This punishment could be satisfied by the penitents performing works of mercy. If the temporal punishment is not satisfied during this life, it needs to be satisfied in purgatory. So there's another issue we're going to deal with at some point in time. Purgatory, a place believed by Catholics to exist between heaven and hell by an indulgence, which may be understood in the sense of kindness, this temporal punishment could be lessened under abuses of the system of indulgences. Clergy benefited by selling indulgences and the Pope, listen to this, this is, this is, this is critical. And the Pope gave a official sanction in exchange for a fee. In essence, the Pope allowed this to take place if those who were receiving the indulgence from the parishioners would give the Pope a fee for being able and allowed to preach indulgences. Let's keep going. Popes are empowered, according to the Catholic Church, Popes are empowered to grant plenary, which is in the word plenary there means total and complete indulgence. Okay, not just a particular indulgence for a particular sin, but the Pope could uh, provide plenary or complete indulgence, uh, uh, perpetual indulgence, if someone were able to uh, uh, give a sufficient uh, gift and offering to the church which provides complete satisfaction for any remaining temporal punishment due to sins. And these were punished, uh, excuse me, purchased on behalf of people believed to be in purgatory. This led to the popular saying, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. In essence, that was, it had become so widespread and so common uh, among uh, uh, Catholic practice that a saying developed about it, which went as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, in essence, when you drop the coin in the tin cup or in the tin pot uh, and it hit the bottom and rang, the soul from purgatory sprang, okay? 
1515, Pope Leo X granted a plenary indulgence uh, intended to finance the construction of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And this is where the, the, the real friction and rub began when Pope Leo X granted a plenary indulgence and the purpose of that indulgence was to raise money for the construction of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Imagine that for a moment, that I'm selling the right to eternal life so that I could build a building to have church in, so that I could re, re, you know, construct a new shiny facility. This is what began the real rub in this issue of indulgences. Now, the fact that we were practicing indulgences wasn't the issue. The issue is, is that as a result of this, in 1515, they began to what they call abuse of indulgences. Forget about abusing indulgences. The practice of indulgences itself is just unthinkable in the kingdom. But once again, to show you that the journey was not about the kingdom. The journey was about Christianity for these people. The kingdom was not even a factor in their thought processes. It was the journey into Christianity, the practice of Christianity, being a good Christian. And I want to say this to you. There is no way to do that and be a kingdom citizen and have a kingdom identity and have those two things reconcile with one another. There is no way that you can begin here and end in the kingdom. But yet many Christians believe that they can. And still today, many Christians, well-meaning uh, uh, Christians, believing that they can maintain a good Christian identity and also engage in the kingdom journey or the kingdom identity. The two are inconsistent, incompatible, with each other. You cannot have them both. And this is the, the purpose of this, uh, the, the end game of this, this presentation today is to get you to understand you cannot have both. You are going to have to accept the fact that you must depart one and embrace the other because you cannot have the kingdom simultaneously holding on to Christianity. The kingdom of heaven is uniquely and distinctly separate from the practice of Christianity. Indulgences is just one aspect of why I have been so vehemently adamant about shifting to the kingdom and away from Christianity. There are many, many others that took place that give rise to the fact that the DNA of Christianity is inconsistent with the identity of the kingdom. So let's let's keep going here. Um, it would apply to almost any sin, including adultery and theft. All other indulgence preaching was to cease for eight years in which the 
indulgence for St. Peter's Basilica was offered. In essence, I could not sell any more indulgences until we had satisfied the finances for the building of the Basilica of St. Peter's. And that was going to uh, uh, be an eight year period. Beloved, this was this is this is Christian history. This is what was going on. Let's keep going. Indulgence preachers were given strict instructions on how the indulgence was to be preached, and they were much more laudatory of the indulgence than those of early indulgences. Jo uh, Johann Tetzel, a Tetzel, was commissioned to preach and offer the indulgence in 1517 and his campaign in cities near Wittenberg. Now remember, Wittenberg is where Luther was, okay? And so when Tietzel ended up preaching near Wittenberg, and let's keep reading because you'll see where I'm going with this. And his campaign in cities near Wittenberg drew many Wittenbergers to travel to these cities and purchase these indulgences since sales had been prohibited in Wittenberg and other Saxon cities. So in essence, when Tietzel began to preach near Wittenberg, parishioners of Wittenberg went out to see Tietzel, purchased indulgences, and came back to Wittenberg. And this is where Luther began to draw serious concerns about the practice and what he ultimately saw as the uh, abuse of the practice of indulgences. Luther also had a rather negative experience and idea with the indulgences connected to All Saints Church in Wittenberg, which is where he was the preacher. By venerating the large collection of relics at the church, uh, one could receive an indulgence. Uh, he had <clears throat> preached as early as 1514 against the abuse listen to that again, of indulgences and the way they cheapened grace rather than requiring true repentance. Luther became especially concerned in 1517 when his parishioners returning from preaching, uh, purchasing Tietzel's uh, indulgences claimed that they no longer needed to repent and change their lives in order to be forgiven of sin. This is what this unthinkable practice ultimately produced. It was inevitable, it was inescapable, it was bound to happen, that people would begin to believe that I could buy my repentance rather than true internal repentance. And as a result, Luther began to study the issue more carefully and contacted experts on the subject. He preached about indulgences seven several times in 1517, explaining that true repentance was better than purchasing an indulgence. He taught that receiving the, an indulgence presupposed that the penitent had confessed and repented. Otherwise, it was worthless. All right. So. Let's keep going and, and then we'll end the, the reading here. But I just wanted to read this to you so that you could get a sense of the uh, timeline that was taking place and the events that were taking place that led up to the point where Luther ultimately uh, just couldn't stand it anymore. And he launched off with the 95 Thesis. But then there's another interesting twist here that I will get into in just a second. It says, a truly repentant sinner would not would also not seek an indulgence because they loved God's righteousness and desired the inward punishment of their sin. Uh, again, that's a whole nother discussion. 
These sermons seem to have ceased from April uh, to October in 1517, presumably while Luther was writing the 95 Theses. He composed a treatise on indulgences, apparently in early autumn in 1517. It is a, it, uh, it is a um, cautious and searching examination of the subject. He contracted, uh, contacted church leaders on the subject by, uh, by letter, including his superiors, um, um, including his uh, superior, Bishop of Brandenburg. And it goes on <clears throat> to talk about uh, how Luther ultimately landed on the 95 Thesis. But here is something that I want you to understand. Um, here's something that I really want you to grasp. As we talk about the 95 Thesis, the one thing that I need you to, to recognize is that Luther, in his effort to bring attention to the, 90, to, to the practice of indulgences, was not interested in leaving the Catholic Church. That's not what he wanted to do. So, so, so this idea that somehow Luther uh, you know, rebelled against the Catholic Church was not the case. The case was, was that Luther presented his 95 Theses as an academic argument to persuade the Catholic Church to change its practice of abusing the, the, the indulgences, okay? Now, I, I, to, to Luther's credit, and, I, and he was absolutely correct in this, that there was no way that indulgences could bring about any kind of true repentance. True repentance is what is necessary, but that wasn't Luther's uh, only argument. His argument was indulgences and the abuse of indulgences were leading people to a false understanding, okay? <clears throat> and, and, and so Luther presented his 95 theses to, uh, to, to really launch a debate over the issue. And so he wrote uh, several copies of his, of his theses, sent them out to, uh, to the various leaders uh, of his day, inviting them to come in and debate the issue of indulgence uh, and uh, history at this point doesn't record any of them taking him up on that. But what did happen was the fact that the Catholic Church stepped in and the Catholic Church said, we will not cease the practice of indulgences. We will not. We will continue. And Luther finding that just untenable and, and, and no way ultimately was kicked out because he wouldn't stop preaching against it and the Catholic Church would not stop practicing it and the two ultimately collided and it resulted in Luther being excommunicated from the Catholic Church. Now, here is the point that I wanted to make about the DNA of the Catholic Church. As I've often said concerning my uh, uh, dissertation of Luther, Luther was a devout Catholic. And as I've often said, you can take the boy out of the country, but you cannot take the country out of the boy. The fact that he was kicked out of the Catholic Church says that he still wanted to be there. And what happens when you really want to be somewhere and they kick you out, you take what you have of there with you wherever you're going. And, and I'll give you a sense of what I'm talking about with my own journey. When I came to understand the things that I understand around Christianity, no one had to kick me out. 
No one had to force me to leave. No one had to excommunicate me, if you will. It was a matter of me recognizing that the journey of the kingdom of heaven was far greater and superior to everything that I had ever encountered in my journey through Christianity, in my walk of a good Christian life. And so I began to pursue my kingdom identity at the expense of my Christian identity. There was no need to kick me out. I willingly left. I willingly and willfully departed and began to pursue the kingdom of heaven, began to pursue the kingdom identity. So that brings me back to this, to this one point that says that, uh, that, that I continue to, to champion. There is, an, an, and I'm not just going to, I'm not going to give an out. I'm going to be emphatic and dogmatic about this. Not just in my opinion, but in my kingdom understanding, there is no doing both. You can't be a good Christian and walk an effective and, and, and embrace an effective kingdom identity. The, 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 the two are inconsistent with each other. There is a practice, uh, there is an understanding within Christianity called that came out of the Protestant Reformation, Sola Scriptura. Well, no, it didn't come out of the Protestant Reformation. It came out of Catholicism. But Luther practiced it as well in the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura, which means by scripture alone. I want you to understand something. By scripture alone. That is as significant for the Protestant Reformation as the 95 Theses were. And equally as disconnected with the kingdom. The, 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 the sola scriptura by scripture alone. In essence, unless I read it, it is not applicable to my Christian walk, unless I read it. And what was the sanctioned authoritative reading of Christianity? The canon of scripture, the canon, Genesis to Revelation, what we now today know as the canon. But what I want you to understand that even the canon itself had, it, it had its time of uncertainty, meaning that what we have today as the canon of scripture was not always understood to be the canon of scripture. And so one would ask the question, then what happened to those people who prior to the canonization, what happened to them? Did they just get grandfathered in? Well, according to Christianity, yes, they did. But I contend with you that there was never, ever, ever a need for the canonization or the canon at all. Because what God was after was not your reading scripture. What God was after was your embracing of Holy Spirit and the voice of God in your life. That's what God has been after, is after, and will always be after. That you have an intimate understanding of his purpose and voice in your life at all times, at any time, at every moment. This is what God is after. And when we begin to walk with God according to that, then you will begin to see clearly how easy, the, not easy, but, but how distinctly different Christianity and the kingdom are.
Until then, you will struggle. You will struggle with me saying things like I'm saying today. Okay, you will struggle with that uh, because it conflicts with the Christianity thing that we all and I listen. You've heard me say this before, and I will repeat myself again. You've heard me say how devout I was to my Christian walk, and sometimes I even find it extremely just. How in the world was I able to come to this conclusion to walk away from something that I held so dear and serious in my life? But let me let me let you in on this this one uh, uh, insight, this this one little testimony. My pursuit of God. uh, How do I say it? Christianity was an end to a means for me. It wasn't the destination for me. I don't know how it ended up that way. I, maybe one day God will quicken me. Holy Spirit, Mother will quicken me in my in my understanding of, of how that happened. But Christianity ultimately became an in, a means to an end. And here's what I mean by that. The end was my relationship with God, pursuit of God's voice, pursuit of God, pursuit of the Godhead, pursuit of Holy Spirit. That was my end. The means to get there at some, at one point in time was Christianity. Christianity was the means to get there. Okay. And once I began to recognize that what Christianity was offering me began to conflict with my pursuit of God, I began to weigh which is more important, my pursuit of God or my Christian walk. And I ultimately landed on the place of it was my pursuit of God that was most important to me. It was me pursuing God, me me going after God, me desiring God's voice in my life and willing to 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 walk a lonely path, a a a a path of, of a solo path that I ultimately landed on. And I've and I've come to this understanding that my life and my journey into the kingdom is far greater, far more substantive, far more expansive today than it has ever been in anything that I did as a part of my Christian walk. Okay, and that's that's something that I I absolutely want to encourage all of us to recognize. Your pursuit is not your Christianity. Your pursuit is is the voice of God. And so here's the argument that many would say, I can't have the voice of God without Christianity. And the devil is a liar. That's what, that, that would be my response to that. And the devil is a liar. Of course, you can have a uh, pursue the voice of God aside from anything that has been presented to you as Christian. Because the kingdom, and, and, and let, me, let me pause for just a second. Let me pause. Janet, I, I, I see your voice. I see your, your comment. My pursuit is the voice of God. Absolutely, sister, absolutely. But, but let me, let me say, say this, that one of the things that we have to begin to recognize in our pursuit of the voice of God in our lives is that Above and superior to anything, the kingdom of heaven has always stood as the one thing that was established by Messiah. 
uh, Messiah never established Christianity. He never established the church. These were all things that were both established by men. I'm going to say that again to you. The church and Christianity were established by men. The kingdom is and has always been established by Messiah, sanctioned by God, established by Messiah, and embraced by the Son, which is me and you, the spirit of the Son, which gives life to me. Okay? So when we start talking about, when we start talking about Christianity and the kingdom, when you read, if you're going to, if, if, if uh, allow me to just say this, even as you read the scriptures, when you read the gospels, the gospels talk about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, my ecclesia, my ecclesia, my ecclesia. When you go back to the original content, the kingdom of heaven and the ecclesia is what our Lord established. Men came along later on and said, well, it's the church, okay, that, that our God, uh, our Lord established. And then the church became synonymous with the building and the people. Well, hold on. And this is where we get this whole thing about, well, the church is not the building, it's the people. No, the church is nothing. It's what men established. The ecclesia is, uh, uh, is what our, our, our Lord established. For when he said that, and I shall build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They took that word ecclesia, which really limit, which literally meant the governing body of the kingdom. That's what ecclesia means. Because when you look at the term ecclesia, at the time our Lord invoked it, it was talking about the governing body of the city of Athens. That's what everybody understood because Athens is the, is the place that ecclesia was coined. And the Ecclesia was something of what we would call the Senate or the Congress, the House of Representatives. That would be the governing body of our, of our uh, Republic. The Ecclesia was the governing body of the city of Athens. And our Lord saw that structure and decided, I want my kingdom to be like that. And he said, I will establish and build my Ecclesia and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He didn't say church. He came and preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't say the church is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as a result of all of that, he, he began to establish the kingdom. And as a result of that, the kingdom is to be governed by the ecclesia. And that's the distinction between the two. Okay, let me get back to Martin Luther, the DNA of Catholicism. Why I champion the idea and the understanding that you and me and all who would be engaged in kingdom, in this kingdom journey, must begin to divest yourself or at the very least see the impact of the influence of Catholicism. Let me, let me backtrack for just a second. The reason you go to church on Sunday is because men changed it from Sabbath. Now, just bear with me here for just a second. 
before you before you misunderstand what I'm about to say, what I'm saying. I'm certainly not suggesting in any way that we got to go become Hebrews, but I'm establishing the fact that what was established and what was understood by Messiah was the observance of Sabbath, okay, which is what we today call Saturday. Religion and Catholicism came along and decided, well, in the best interest of the people of our kingdom and of our dominion, they recognize Sunday, which is in honor of, yes, you got it right, the sun god. They began to establish the day of worship on Sunday. Okay? They shifted it. They moved it. That's why we that's why we engage in worship on Sunday because they they shifted that for purposes of their own doing to make it more palatable to the empire of Rome. And so today that carries over. Same thing Martin Luther did. Martin Luther did the same thing. He carried over Sunday as the day of worship. Okay. Another thing, the reason you're in a building to start with has nothing to do with the kingdom. It has everything to do with what Roman Catholic practice began to initiate. And most people don't realize that it was uh, Constantine's mother that began to build the first basilicas or cathedrals or buildings in which the local community would come and worship. It was Constantine's mother. That practice caught on and ultimately ingrained itself in what became the Catholic Church. And as a result of that, what do we do? We build big buildings. And what do we do in Protestantism? We build big buildings. We don't call them cathedrals and basilicas. We call them family life centers. We call them worship centers. All right? We call them sanctuaries. That all comes out of the DNA of Catholicism. It, it comes, it, it comes, there is and there is an, and how can I say it? You can't disconnect it from Catholicism. It come, you, there's a direct line that goes right back to Catholicism as to why we worship on Sunday versus Saturday, why we worship in a building as opposed to a home. There's a direct connection, absolute direct connection. And what I'm encouraging you is, is that the connection between your kingdom identity and your uh, Christian identity must be severed and move on. And, and, and for those of you that might be a little bit afraid <clears throat> because of, you know, just afraid you're going to go to hell. Let me help you with something. Your father in heaven loves you so much. Your father in heaven desires your success so much that your pledge, your embrace of the creator of God would never allow you to be misled. 
that whole idea that the devil will mislead you is one more ploy of Catholicism to keep you and to control you under the thumb of the church. That's what that's the, the, this whole idea that somehow God is going to allow you to go to st astray while you are in pursuit of his heart and identity and, 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 and his salvation. I've come to understand is nothing more than a ploy of fear that has been instituted and enacted by the church to keep you under the thumb and the subjection of the church. God never intended for any of us to walk in subjection to a set of rules, to an organization, to a denomination, to a religion. God has always intended for you to speak with him. Look at the pattern very quickly as we get ready to close. Look at the pattern of our Lord. What did he come say? I didn't, he didn't come to do the will of Judaism. He didn't come to do the will of Moses. He didn't come to do the will of uh, his father, David. He didn't come to do the will of the Torah. He came to do the will of my father. Me and my father are one. What I hear my father say, I say. What I see my father do, I do. That was his mantra. And what do we do? I come to do the will of Christianity. I want to be a good Christian. I want to be, no, beloved, no. Pursue the voice and mind of God in your life. And you will begin to recognize and see that prior walk of Christianity for what it really is. I say this, and, and, and I really think about this, and then we'll go to some of your comments. It really, it, I think sometimes over the last 30 plus years that I spent devoutly walking in Christianity and my, and, and, and my heart really sinks uh, for the time that I lost. I was sharing with Apostle Vincent, uh, Vincent Poole the other day and Pastor Milton Lewis, who's on the broadcast, who's, who's listening in. I was sharing with both of them the other day. Sometimes when I think about the time that I lost, the years that are the decades that I lost to walking in Christianity, as opposed to what I have found walking in my kingdom identity, I, 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 I get depressed almost. I mean, it's, it's just so disheartening. That's the word I'm looking for, not depressed. I become disheartened at all the time that I lost. And then I stop. And, and, and mother had to check me and she said, listen, I'm in the business of redeeming the time. And so I'm, I'm at that point of recognizing that mother is redeeming all of those decades lost because I could have been farther along. And this is why I teach my grandchildren and even my children. And I'm, I'm going back and correcting some things that I taught them, okay? And as you can imagine, it is it is a challenge because what I taught them, I taught them with fervor and conviction. Now I'm having to go back and redress that. But with my grandchildren, I am absolutely encouraging them develop that intimacy with God. Don't worry about everybody else. Don't worry about just you develop that intimacy with God.
And when you do that, God will intervene in your affairs. God will intervene. Mother will intervene in your affairs. And direct your steps, guide your footprints. Mother will intervene in, the, in your affairs and you will never ever be allowed to go astray. That's the glory of the kingdom. That's the glory of the kingdom beloved. So I've had to, I've had to go back and redress that. But anyway, so we've been talking about the impact of the DNA or the impact of, of the Catholic DNA on our kingdom journey and learning how to recognize it for what it is and divesting yourself. So to wrap it all up, before I go to your comments, we were talking about Martin Luther and how Martin Luther took the 95 Theses, launched the Protestant Reformation, but what he did was brought Catholicism right on with him. Everything about Catholicism, with the exception of practicing of indulgences, Martin Luther brought with him. Because when he did, Martin Luther completely got rid of indulgences. And, and to his credit, I, I have to you know acknowledge that, to his credit, he completely got rid of indulgences uh, as a part of launching uh, what ultimately launched the Protestant Reformation, which ultimately launched the charismatic movement, okay, which, which the non-denominational movement, but each one of them influenced the other. So the Catholic Church influenced Protestantism, Protestantism influenced the, the non-denominational movement, and that's where you have. So in essence, one gave birth to the other, right? And, and as, as, as we all know, that as the old saying goes, an apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. You can't just, you know, you have to make a clean break, right? You have to make a clean break. At some point in time, as, as we've learned in, 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 you know, as a part of our Christian walk, right? At some point in time, you gotta, you gotta break the curse. You gotta stop the, 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 the perpetuation of, of, of a thing. And in order for us to stop the perpetuation of our Christian DNA, Catholic DNA, we've got to allow the born again experience to take us to the next place. We're born again, right? We're born again. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much. Let's go to some of your comments today. And, um, and uh, uh, Angie said, my cry to father has been heard from the very first utterances. Thankfully, <clears throat> grateful for, uh, for the Godhead for the Godhead's guidance into spheres of lives lived in the kingdom. Angie, I, I'm, I'm, I can't echo that um, um, strongly, more strongly. Um, when we begin to submit ourselves to the Godhead and recognize and embrace the fact that I am a part of the Godhead, okay? When I do that as being a part of the Godhead, I recognize that my DNA is from God, not from the church, is from God, not from Christianity, is from God, not from Catholicism, okay? My DNA is God's DNA, and God's DNA is eternal, and that's what I pursue eternity. Janet said, my pursuit is the voice of God, amen, amen, and listen to me, you cannot go wrong if you pursue the voice of God. And I will say this, that I pursue the voice of God uh, uh, at the expense of anything that I've gained uh, from, uh, from Christianity. The voice of God is most important to me. The voice of God is, is, uh, is, is so critical to me. Uh, 
uh, Felita says, not much has changed uh, has changed today in religion. And it hasn't. It really has not. We may call it something else and do something else, uh, you know, uh, but but the, the root, the core, the DNA of what it is, is still the same thing. And, and that's just why I continue to contend. You must make a clean break. And so let me be a little bit more emphatic. Stop calling yourself a Christian and allow God to allow you to identify yourself with the kingdom. And I'm not going to tell you what to call yourself, but but stop calling yourself that and allow God to identify you with the kingdom. Okay? And then you will begin to recognize and begin to see and begin to the manifest the identity of the kingdom within you that you're living. Okay? Pastor Milton Lewis uh, uh, said, Apostle, uh, you arrived here because your passion uh, and pursuit of truth overwhelmingly outweighed anything that you ever got from Christianity or religion. And, 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 and Pastor, I have to agree with you 100% that I got here because my pursuit of truth outweighed all of that stuff. It, I was so intent on finding an understanding of the things that I was experiencing that it overwhelmed. Christianity could no longer provide me an answer to the questions that I began to ask. It could, it could, could no longer do that. One of the things, and, 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 and my Christian, my Christian, my kingdom journey really began 20 some years ago. It didn't fully come to fruition until about five or six years ago. <clears throat> and let me say this. And it began with a small flickering spark. That's it. As a matter of fact, Pastor Lewis was uh, was with me that day that it happened. And um, I was reading the scriptures and I read this passage of scripture uh, that said that it behooved him to bring many sons to glory. I had never seen myself as a son of God in that light as I saw it the day I read that passage of scripture and it just illuminated. And that passage of scripture launched a journey, launched a spark in me that I began to recognize I was sinless. I was God's son. I was a part of the Godhead. I was eternal. I had the authority to command the kingdom. I could call things into my into season that were not in the season. I had the authority that God was had ultimately pronounced upon me. And that launched my journey. So you're right, Pastor Lewis. It outweighed everything that I ever got from Christianity. Uh, Pastor Lewis says this again, Paul heard God's voice and he wasn't uh, a Christian, nor did he teach Christianity. Yeshua, <clears throat> uh, nor his disciples taught Christianity. They also didn't have a Bible, but they were able to hear God. I, I want you to listen to that. Paul heard God's voice. He wasn't a Christian. There was no such thing as Christianity when Paul was teaching. Paul didn't even know the Messiah as a as Christ. He knew him as Messiah. He knew him as Yeshua. He certainly didn't know him as Jesus. That all came later on. They also didn't have a Bible. None of them had a Bible. And what Paul wrote was not intended to be a Bible. 
it was intended for what it was, which was a letter, an epistle to a particular people about a specific thing to address certain issues, period. And we took those, codified them, and turned them into a Bible, a canon. And we have been stuck, cemented in time based on those writings. No longer. No longer. No more Sola Scriptura. Right? No more. No more 95 Theses. No, no more Protestant Reformation. No more Christianity. It is the voice of God, the ecclesia, the kingdom. Okay. Uh, Felita said the kingdom of God is liberation and freedom. Felita, you're absolutely correct. The kingdom of God is liberation and freedom. When you begin to experience the kingdom of God, the change of condemnation, the change of fear, the chains will begin to break and fall off of you and you will begin to pursue the kingdom and enjoy the liberty wherewith Messiah has made us free and begin to go on to pursue the things that God has for you to pursue and you will begin to be more than conquerors. You will begin to be all that God has intended for you to be. Why? Because I am allowing my relationship with God to be premier first and foremost. Okay. Common says, uh, so blessed to listen to this word. Blessings from South Africa. Well, God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining, uh, Common. Uh, and I, I hope I, I pronounce your last name correct, Desmore. Uh, thank you so much for joining from South Africa. Share the broadcast uh, with your colleagues and friends in South Africa. Uh, we would love to reach out and and. Uh, have an audience there as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so Gary asked a question. Here's a question. What will happen to the saved over the born again uh, person? Ah, that's a good question, Gary. And you would, 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 I would get to that question at the end and, and which would, which would require a, a, a little bit of a lengthy uh, discussion. So Let's let's talk about that for just a minute. And Gary, I, I think I'll pick that up next week. Uh, what's going to what's the difference? What's going to happen to the saved as opposed to the born again person? I'm going to say it and I'm going to draw back on something I heard Paul say, beloved, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved or they may be born again. OK, for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. I'm going to say the same thing. I look at Christians as I have been a good Christian. And I, and, and I consider myself to have been a devout Christian. And I've, I can remember giving an explanation to people who were not necessarily believers about my walk of faith. And I, and I made the comment, I, I consider, I take my walk of Christianity serious. I don't play with it. Uh, I, I don't jingle around with it. It, it, it is serious to me. But I look back upon that and I recognize that as sincere as I was, I was just sincerely miswrong, I misplaced and sincerely wrong. Uh, I, I was sincerely misguided. Okay. And so 
what ultimately had to happen for me is that I had to recognize and I had to come to terms with the fact that what I had was not what God intended for me. And I had to embrace what God intended for me to embrace. Okay. Now, some will say, and and and, and I, I cannot argue that, you may have actually been born again as a part of your uh, your Christian walk. If so, so be it. And, and I'm not here to say you were born again versus not being born again. But the goal is to be born again, not to be converted, not to have joined a church, not to have joined an organization, but to be born again. And if that never happened to you and for you, then you need to reach back and go back and and, and address that with the father, period. OK, because whether you were born again or whether uh, 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 the, the fact of being born again is the most crucial aspect of all of this. And so, Gary, I would say to you that um, uh, my heart's desire for those that are in Christianity is that they would see the light because I bear them record just like I did. I had a zeal for God, but not according to the knowledge of the kingdom. And most Christians do not have an idea, uh, a zeal for God according to the knowledge of the kingdom. They have it according to the knowledge of Christianity. And that requires uh, uh, that they come into an understanding of the kingdom, be born again, and then they can begin to enjoy the fruit and the benefit of the kingdom of heaven, which is what God has always intended for us. Amen. Pastor Lewis said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah, that he thought it not robbery to be made equal with God. Okay. <clears throat> Janet says, I will no longer identify as a Christian, but as a kingdom citizen. Janet, and that, as Paul Harvey used to say, is the rest of the story. That's it. A kingdom citizen. Now, let God take my kingdom kingdom citizenship and identify it however God wants to identify it. And then we can go on and go wherever God wants us to go. But we are kingdom citizens. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, beloved, I went way too long uh, uh, than I intended. But thank you all so very much. And all of you that have watched today, you may not have necessarily made a comment on the thread today, but thank you so very much uh, for being on the broadcast. I watched uh, 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 each of you uh, come on as I could see the, the number of participants show up on the screen. Thank you so much. This, is, this has been a tremendous uh, opportunity for me, and I hope that you gain something out of this. So let me ask you to do something for me that I didn't ask at the very beginning. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, if you don't mind going over to YouTube and uh, hitting that subscribe button, it certainly allows us to reach uh, more people. And while you're there, if you don't mind hitting that bell, uh, and it will notify you when we do go live, because we will be going live and on times other than Sunday mornings, um, and we will begin to uh, bring uh, additional programming uh, to you, kingdom-centered programming. And let me say this, kingdom is far beyond religion, okay? Kingdom encompasses the entirety, the holistic uh, uh, experience that we call life. That is kingdom. Work, job, politics, science, medicine, education, uh, a personal, uh, philanthropic, all of the kingdom required in a physical, spiritual, mental, it encompasses all of that is the kingdom. And we're going to be uh, uh, addressing a lot of those things. Spirituality, it, it, it is going to, and again, 
spirituality for me begins and ends with the Godhead, period. Full stop. The rest of it makes no, it's, 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 it's the Godhead. Father, mother, and us. That's the Godhead. That is the kingdom experience. Amen. So, well, listen, beloved, as I said, go to our website, uh, go to our uh, YouTube channel and subscribe there. And if you'd like to get more information on the ministry, you can go to our website at rotruth.org, rotruth.org. That stands for rockoftruth.org. Okay. You can go to our website. You can see more information. We have a blog uh, that we write. Uh, obviously, we, we, we uh, write a bit on our uh, Facebook channel. Um, we do have a blog. Uh, we also have a podcast. If you take uh, Spotify, you can find us on the podcast. This broadcast right here will be um, uh, the audio portion of this broadcast will be transferred over to Spotify and you can listen to it again uh, if you like. Uh, and I would certainly recommend and highly encourage you to do so. Well, listen, we've been long. Thank you so much. And for your patience, join us again next time as we continue to share with you truths of the kingdom from an apostolic perspective. Until then, be well. Be blessed. We'll see you next week.